Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are reviewing the 1976 comedy, Norman, Is That You? Vince's selection for this stop on the yes, show mission. It was. <laughs> Film starring Red Fox and Pearl Bailey, directed by George Schlatter, and a movie that was based on a play of the same name. However, there were some significant differences, some significant changes made to the play in adapting it to film, and we will get in on all of that tonight's on the Michaud mission. But before we do, as far always, we'd like to follow up with all of you, with all of your follow-up in regards to everything going on in the world of Michaud, including your comments and concerns in regards to last week's episode, Black Like Me. On that episode, we talked about whether or not Sweet Sweetback's badass song deserved a Criterion collection. Yes, and Robert Monroe mentioned that it should, it definitely deserves a Criterion collection when you consider that the movie House received a Criterion collection. And House, I believe, is an Asian film that he's pointing out. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a, um, it's a film from 1977 that is a psychedelic ghost tale from director Nubohuki excuse me Nuboiko Obayashi okay so it's Japanese it's Japanese okay Um, and it seems to be they're describing this as a indescribable 1977 psychedelic ghost tale house (laughs) Robert doesn't like it, but everything you just sa- said sounds sounded awesome to me. Sounds interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we we'll had to check it out. I mean, that already. The dis- Sorry, Robert, you sold it. Yeah, <laughs> that description already sounds better than "Sweet Sweet Back's Badass" oh, song to me. Boy. Um, I'm sorry. It's sorry. I'm, I'm just I'm being real. Uh, but he also says, "Ask the question: If Black Like Me is a black movie, right? Then is Soul Man a black movie? That is a very good question Now that I, I'll let you answer first. Well, his question is about the movie Soul Man, which I believe stars... Uh, C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas Howell. And a, Ray Don Chung. As a white a guy who pretends to be black, puts on blackface. To get an affirmative action scholarship. Right. I would say that that is not a black film. Okay. And the reason why is, is simply put the the reasoning for that story. Right. The reasoning for that story is to mock the black experience. Right. As opposed to, regardless of what we think the end result was, Black Like Me was decidedly to... The idea was to take a, a look, to take an examination of the black sure. ex- experience. So so your argument is that the intent is what tips it over the yes. edge. Okay. Yeah, yeah, to me. 
What I think you? that I, I mean, quite selfishly, I'm going to say it's not because I don't want to watch Soul Man. <laughs> well, that too. Which is just a terrible movie, it just, just with the intent and everything around it. But I think you could make an argument for reading it black. Coming at it from a black perspective, looking at the way blackness and affirmative action and the black experience is represented in that film. Right. Because I haven't seen it in decades, but I remember even as a younger man being furious at the stereotypes and the deliberate misunderstanding of how affirmative action and these these scholarships worked. So... Let's see. One of the things, uh, we got an email. We got a few emails here, Vince. Okay. Um, so uh, hold on tight. Okay. We got an email from Eric Van. Hey, Eric. He says, stop hustling monkeys, Yafit. <laughs> now, we know Prince Yafit Koto is, in fact, pound for pound, the best actor of the black exploitation movie. <laughs> okay. He crossed 110th Street. He did. Outpimped Willie Dynamite with his machinations in Truck Turner. Harvard Blue. Defined Old West bullydom in Man and Boy. Oh, Shout out to Dr. Bill it. Cosby. I was about to say, that's Bill Cosby's joint. Tossed off a killer performance as a Bond villain. Hero to those of us who preferred Sir Roger as the saint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friday Foster, Bone, the man's a first ballot black film Hall of Famer. Okay. Monkey Hustle, though. <laughs> You'd think that talented a cat, and cast for that matter, would have looked at this script, scheduled a cast-only barbecue, and hashed out something better than Monkey Hustle. Mm. I saw this as an 11 year old and all I remember at the time was wondering if I could get to Chicago to challenge baby D for sweet potatoes affections. <laughs> you, you better leave baby D in that half shirt alone. Mm -hmm. Now bear with me. Eric continues. I have a few more thoughts. Okay. Can't express those in my current sphere. All I get is rolled eyes and teeth sucking. <laughs> Why wasn't Thomas Carter a bigger star or Randy Brooks for that matter? I'll answer him about Thomas Carter. You uh, see if you agree or disagree. Okay. Thomas Carter. And, and just to clarify, Thomas Carter's who? Well, he was, I guess, next to Yafakoto the lead right, of right. Monkey Hustle. Okay. Um, he will go on to have a a modest movie career, certainly more of a career in television, yeah. where he became one of the ensemble of the long-running series The White, White Shadow. Shadow. Um, and then would move on to working behind the scenes as okay. the director of a lot of TV. Okay. The reason why it, the reason why it's curious why he didn't become a big star because if you look at thomas carter he ha he looks like he has the good he, he had the look he had he had the looks he was a good looking dude well built you know well, well proportioned you know what i mean um and not a bad actor and didn't sh and and proved that he wasn't that bad of an actor yeah right i think what hurt him um besides the fact that he had the un the unfortunate circumstance of just being a black actor 
at that time. Right. Because this the story of the actors that should have and could have from this time is as old as time. Right. But what I think hurt him is that as good as an actor as he was and as good as his look was, he didn't have it. Mm. There wasn't anything about him that that drew your eyes to him your on eye. the screen. Because even in the on the white shadow where he would de- decided well he was part of an ensemble yeah he still doesn't pop right you know and if you've got it you're going to pop regardless and, right and my my argument for that is denzel washington who got his start in saint elsewhere right because of the nature of what that show was and the time that it was there denzel washington was the black doctor yeah, on that show. So while he was he was definitely, you know, in the credits, you would go long stretches of the show and not see him. And yes. then when you would see him, it would just be very fleeting. But Denzel, there was something about Denzel that when you saw him, you knew. Oh, oh, okay, he's I, doing something. I don't think you even have to leave the white shadow because Kevin Hooks. On there the white go. shadow is the go. one that pop who popped, yep. and you immediately wanted to know where was Kevin Hooks mm-hmm. when he wasn't on the screen. Yeah, so yeah, so there you go. Eric continues. Okay. Also, with a reworked or really a modicum of effort script, isn't Monkey Hustle the kind of film that should be remade? As you noted, there's a germ of a good idea to set the film in the world of confidence men and flim flam fatales. I mean, I'd be up for it. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd be I up was for it. fond of the monkey hustle. I am fond of the monkey hustle. Half shirts are definitely a thing in the <laughs> mid to late seventies. Thomas Carter got a secret. Was going to see to that. He yes. Make it a thing. Yes. The briefcase switches were the way to go. Maybe they switch with a drug courier or an industrial spy or a T-1000. But doughy <laughs> white businessmen? It, it was a lot of movement for not a lot of gain. No, it was not. Within one lifetime, the lovely and talented Miss Rosalind Cash. All right. Had to kiss both Yafit Koto and J.J. Walker on the mouth. She kissed J.J. Walker? I'm trying to think, when did she kiss What did she kiss Jimmy J.J. Walker? She's, it must be, on a, must be on an episode of Good Times, but even then she would have been an older woman. I was about to say, I'm scrolling through episodes of Good Times. Did, wait a minute, doesn't he like date an older woman at one time? It's on not Rosalind show? Cash, though. Okay. I, I'd seen the, I, Were they I, on Love Boat together? Love Boat? No, they couldn't have been. Why, why you say it like Jimmy Walker wasn't on Love Boat like three times? Oh, I guess. Love Boat? <laughs> James Walker would never be on Love Boat. I don't see them on the Love Boat together. I don't know. All right. Um, going back to the email, I fully expected the Junior Olympics thing from the Monkey Hustle to be another okey-doke money grab from the upstanding bruh, like Calvin Lockhart and Calvin... And Cotton comes to Har- Harlem. I actually thought that too. I was ready for that to be the okie doke as well. Um, and while Akbar, the black Superman, currently holds the belt for the worst film from the black exploitation era, Monkey Hustle is in the conversation. 
You know, along with Darktown Strutters, that Snorefest 80 sequel to Superfly, and most of the films Fred Wilmanson directed himself. Hmm, sounds like I just gave you a show idea to holster. <laughs> Appreciate what you're doing so much that I'm laughing and yelling at y'all podcast as I matriculate through my day. I'm on an archive <laughs> dive, so bear with me. Be safe, Eric Van. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Taking us back to the monkey hustle. He, he took us back, but before I would mi- remake the monkey hustle, okay, I would remake Darktown Strutters. Yeah, and I enjoyed Darktown and Strutters. I, and I thought, yeah. That, yeah, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, we also heard from Sherry D. Hey, Sherry. Who said that there was a great discussion on Black Like Me. I read the book and saw the film years ago and didn't appreciate either. For me... <laughs> I know that's right. She cuts to the chase, that Sherry. Uh, for me, a better walk in someone else's shoe attempt is Gentleman's Agreement from 1947. Gregory Peck's character poses as a Jewish person and writes articles about the treatment he experiences in his everyday life. Of course, unlike the Black Like Me situation, people don't assume that Gregory Peck's character is Jewish until he tells them, and then they turn, uh, and then they turn. It's an Eli Kazan film, so it's very well done. And you understand that character's mission and the mission of the film, calling out hypocrisy, bigotry, and self-hatred, and advising that remaining silent when you witness injustice makes you complicit. Black Like Me just fell flat for me in terms of depicting our struggle and railing against racial injustice. Okay. Now, going back to Watermelon Man, I just wanted to share something about Godfrey Cambridge. Okay. When I was 11 or 12 years old, uh, um, somewhere around 1980, my school screened the anti, anti-drug documentary Dead is Dead, made sometime in the early 70s. It was hosted by Godfrey Cambridge. He looks into the camera and warns us of the ills of drug addiction. Oh. And there are shots of users using and users with deep sores on their arms and legs. It was too much for us kids. That sounds terrifying. As good anti-drug docs are supposed to be, I guess. We didn't know anything about drugs, but we didn't even want to take aspirin after seeing this documentary. I see that this doc is now on YouTube. The notes under the video indicate that Mr. Cambridge financed, wrote, and produced doc the document. Wow. And that he even visited schools speaking about the pitfalls of drug use. When I was a kid, I knew Mr. Cambridge was supposed to be a funny guy, but for me, he was that somber teacher in that scary documentary. But what a positive use of his fame. You can see from the comments under the YouTube video that this doc positively influenced a lot of other young folks. It might have freaked us out with the graphic images, but it educated us. By the way, my school also screened another flick for us, The Cross and the Switchblade. From oh, Cross and the Switchblade, baby! It was an anti-gang flick. That's right! That was scary because it starred Pat Boone <laughs> as a priest. That's and, right! And Eric Estrada... That's right, as a thug. As a gang member. That's right! Together... Acting. Oh, Sherry D. Pool. What you know about the cross and the switchblade, Lynn? I know nothing of this. Oh, I think it was a book. 
about right. uh, it was about a well just what she said it, it was it was a a, a a gang leader and and a priest tried or or a preacher tried to get him to change his life mm -hmm. and at some point he basically says to him you have to pick the cross or the switchblade and of course he gives himself to christ and lives happily ever after i believe that's based on a true story but what i always think about is what you know about spire comics Spire, I don't know. Sp oh, Spire, Spire I'm pretty, Comics. I'm pretty sure Spire Comics. That's the name of the comic company that Archie. Oh yes, licensed their characters out, yes. and they made uh, they they made um, Christian comic Christian books. comic books. back in the seventies. Yeah, in seventies. Yeah. And then I'm pretty sure classic Archie's artist Dan DeClaro, DeCarlo did stuff, and that whole my mother had a friend who was like, well, I'll just say super religious. Mm. And she knew I liked comic books. Yes. So she would bring me to Christian comic yes. books. And a lot of them were like super scary. Oh, wow. See, they always bought me the Archie ones. Yeah. Well, there was Spire and then there was another company. I'm sorry, y'all, but Crossing the Switchblade triggered me. <laughs> there was another company. It was like Crusade Comics or something. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they were like, it was like that Neil Adams mm -hmm. photorealism yes, yes. art. Yeah, and it would be and like it would be stories like the cross and the switchblade, and then it'd be stories where it would be like two pages of somebody who was out in the world, yeah, who was like worldly, he was you know, or, or maybe Catholic, yep, or Jewish, and didn't get he wouldn't give his life to Christ, and then it'd be fifteen pages of him in hell. <laughs> I know, I know, I do remember that. I do remember those. Yeah, but those. yeah, I do remember the cross and the switchblade with Erica Strada and Pat Boone. They may have showed it at my school. My small Catholic school. Wow. Uh, good pull, Sherry. Very good. Thank very you. Very good pull. We also heard from Danny K. Hey, Danny. And the subject line is some movies. <laughs> hey, I just discovered your show when I was looking for podcast commentary about Uptight. Okay, nice. And I really am enjoying what I'm hearing. In the spirit of Uptight, I wanted to recommend two pretty obscure older films that I'd love to hear your takes on. Okay. They are The Landlord from 1970. That's, that has come up. And The Intruder from 1962. Both are by Caucasian directors, but deal in interesting, compelling ways with important cultural integration issues of the day. The Intruder even stars Captain Kirk, William Shatner himself. Okay. Regardless, love what you're doing. Keep it up. Best Dan. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, the, the intruder was I was this close to choosing the intruder last last okay. week. But um I thought black like me was a perfect right. you know, you know uh, and I've for you know following the watermelon. And I've man. orbited around the landlord a couple of times. We got another email. This email is from Devin Devereaux. Hey Devin. You know the the missionaries have such classy names. Oh, because you know I just think about Dominique Devereaux on Dynasty. Oh, that was um, that was Diane Carroll's Diane character. Carroll's That's character, yeah. right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, when she was on there, and it was the Battle of the Shoulder Pads. <laughs> That's right <laughs> on Dynasty. <laughs> uh, Devin Devereaux writes, "What's up, Vincent Len? Hey, I recently watched the classic Death by oh, excuse me Death." By Temptation. Yes. <laughs> and with searching podcasts on the film, I came across the Michelle Mission. Excellent. And am now 
a fan for life. Thank you. You guys made me laugh out loud every time I listen. I make Halloween costumes by day and work as oh. an illustrator designer by night. Thanks for all the hours of insightful and hilarious content to listen to while I work. Much love. I hope to see you at an event someday. Do you ever do anything on the West Coast? All my best, Devin. Okay, Devin. We're, we're trying to get out to the West Coast. We are actually have been actively uh, working on putting something together to do out there right. on the on the West Coast. So hopefully we'll be in your neck of the woods sometime soon. Yes, Devin. yes. So, uh, but thank you. Yes, for your email. That is very touching, and uh, I appreciate it a great deal. Uh, speaking of that, we also got another we got another five star review on on uh, Apple Podcast Vince. Very nice. Um, this is from Big Neens. Hey, Big Neens. This pro- this podcast is everything you could ask for from a podcast. Two knowledgeable and funny people who have great chemistry and are clearly. Friends having a good time, delivering insightful and thoughtful conversation about undervalued subject matter. The mission is laudable and necessary, and this podcast is required listening for anyone interested in cinema, black culture, American culture, geek culture, and so much more. Just try it. You won't be disappointed. Oh, thank you. We certainly appreciate that. Thank you so much. Absolutely appreciate that. We always like a five-star review. Yeah. And, and uh, five-star ratings and reviews, that really helps people find our show. So we we really appreciate it when we see that. Um, let's see. Let's look at some of the news that is out there, events. Well, before you because the geek... The geek news was a perfect transition. Did did you did you hear about the Criterion Collection? Did you hear about the Criterion Collection? Did you hear the 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 great? Well, to me, it was like the great Criterion Collection news. No, I did not. What is it? So great? you know, they number each release. Yes, and they're coming up on their one thousandth release. Yeah, which I was like, wow, they released it. And for one thousand, mm-hmm. an eight disc collection of the Godzilla films. Oh, you know what I did here? Remastered mm-hmm. essays, new cover art. Dude, I am so excited about that. Cuz remember I was going You're I was on a kick. Sh- I've been on a kick all summer. Yes. Yes. I am so excited about that. It's ridiculous. Here's the thing, though. And I like Godzilla. I don't care what you hear the thing is. Go ahead. Do you hear the thing? I love Godzilla. Uh-huh. Go ahead. I don't even care whatever it is you're about to say. Do you need every Godzilla movie, Vince? I need. Be honest. I need the. <laughs> and, and let me just say this. I'm, I'm just getting back into it, and I'm realizing that they named the different errors. Mm-hmm. This is from the. I think this is the Showa era. The Showa era. I think that's what the the classic films are. Okay. And yeah, I need those. Oh, are you talking about is it is it Showa or is it like? Oh, all right, the Showa era from nineteen fifty four to nineteen seventy five. Yes. Um, collected here for the first time, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Oh my goodness, this is insane. This is absolutely because you know the- all fifteen Godzilla films from that period from Japan's Showa era in a landmark set showcasing the technical wizardry, fantastical storytelling, yes. an indomitable 
international appeal that established the most iconic giant monster the cinema has ever seen. All the way up until, I believe, Destroy All Monsters, mm-hmm. where they made a concerted effort and said, this is going to be for children. Yes. These are rock-solid science fiction films. Oh, there's... Okay, the monster from Planet X is a good-ass movie. It is. I don't think that's in here, though. No, it is. It's it, in there. It. I. It's. No, it's, it's in there. It's. It's not. I'm. I'm going to read for you the films that are in here, Vince. Because these are Godzilla films. Yes. So it starts with Godzilla from yes. 1954. I'm telling right? you, the first also King, known as Gojira. The first King uh, King Ghidra film is on in there. I'm. T- Vince, it starts with 1954. Okay, go ahead, read them, read them. 1955, Godzilla raids again. Yes. 1963, King Kong versus Godzilla. Yes. Which, it's a science fiction movie, not a great movie. Right, but that's because he was working with them damn Americans. (laughs) Go ahead. Mothra versus Godzilla from 1964. And that's a good good film. That's a good film. Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. Which is also called... Um... It doesn't say what it's also called. Keep going. Um, Invasion of the Astro Monster. Yeah, that's good stuff. Ibira, Horror mm-hmm. of the Deep. I like that one, too. Son of Godzilla. Okay, and that one is that's, not that good. That's that's Saturday morning cartoon fair. Destroy All Monsters. Destroy All Monsters I'll give is you good that. stuff. Great stuff. All Monsters Attack from 1969. Godzilla versus Hedora from 1971. Godzilla versus Gigan from 1972. That's uh, this is good stuff. Mm. Godzilla versus Megalon. You know that's my jam because that's a Jet Jaga. Yeah. Okay. 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 Yeah. 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 I didn't really dig that one either. Uh, Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. Oh yeah, Robot Godzilla. Oh, <laughs> you know what? I want to like that. I mean, it's, all right, this is a dumb fun one. And then uh, Terra of Mecha Godzilla from 1975. All right, that one's all right. All right, that's the movies that's going to be in this set. Now, are you? I see you feverishly looking on your tablet to see if Ghidorah, three-headed monster from 1964, is also known as the. Um, the monster from Planet X. Right, it's actually Invasion of Astro Monster. But it's from Planet X. Yes, because yeah. the Invasion of Astro, Monster, of Astro Monster talks about aliens from Planet X. Yeah. Uh, making an irresistible offer to the people of Earth. But these are my jam. Borrow Godzilla. I am, oh my goodness gracious. It comes out October 29th. Yes. You know, my birthday is November 2nd. So this is your birthday. D- son. Now, are you going to plan like a whole day of screening all of these? I might. Nobody really watches them with me except my daughter. I'll watch them. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, maybe we will. I'll come maybe we'll watch have them. a watch party. Yeah. I'll watch Godzilla movies. Fun. I mean, you know, I might leave. Uh huh. I might dip out bring of your negativity. <laughs> bring your negativity into, into my Godzilla <laughs> movie watching. I mean, Godzilla versus Son. King Kong. You know, man, you know there's a lot of people you could do without that. You know all <laughs> summer this has been my Saturday night. So we're here now. Okay. So me and the wife take turns tucking in my son. 
mm-hmm. and my nights that I like I do what, what I do I do Sunday Monday Thursday and Friday gotcha and so Saturday I don't like that's so so like my jam all summer is that while she's tucking him in and my daughter's doing you know just doing teenager Teenage stuff, stuff right get me a little drink get me a little bourbon and just sit and watch these the, the Showa era Godzilla movies that has been my jam all summer okay all right I, I I'm waiting for you to watch Shin Godzilla though which is the most recent Godzilla oh movie. I saw it didn't we see it together no, we didn't see it together. We didn't see it together. Yeah. That, that was I a loved great it. movie. I loved that it. That was a great movie. And that's what I'm talking about. These movies, like Godzilla versus Mothra or, or Invasion of the Astro Monster, like the first King Ghidorah film, if they had the special effects, they would be as good, if not better, than Shin Godzilla. True. But if they had the special effects, you know what they would be? They would be... Godzilla King of Monsters, the yeah. movie that came out, which was good. Which was, yeah. Oh, yeah. A fun, fun movie. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get us That's all fine. Godzilla. That's fine. But, but, that's... But, but, but the missionary said we do geek culture. And that's geek culture. They let's, asked for it. Because let's be clear. It ain't no black people in any of these movies. <laughs> no, there's not. There's not there are no one. black people in any of these movies. I put a post out there on Facebook and on Instagram, um, a little image showing four sitcoms from the 70s, black okay. sitcoms. That's My Mama, uh-huh. Sanford and Son. Yes, sir. What's Happening and The Jeffersons. And I asked the question, do you think those shows would work today? I mean, that's my mama and 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 Sanford and Son, and what was the third one besides the Jeffersons? What's happening? What's happening? I mean, they could certainly work. Like, like they, those are timeless premises. Premises. I think the whole hook of the Jeffersons is imagine what would happen if black people got rich. Mm-hmm. Might not be as cutting edge. Not, might not be as cutting edge right now right. anymore. Um, the Jeffersons might work. You know the only way I think the Jeffersons could work? If you actually set it in the 70s. Make it a period piece. And that might be interesting. That might be interesting. They might be able to... Um, well, I was going to say they could maybe lean on it a little bit more, but they yeah. leaned. Yeah. They, so. Well, they leaned the first couple of years. Yeah. Then yeah. It, it definitely like softened. Well, you know that a lot of that was Sherman Helmsley. Really, I didn't know that. He talks about how he was never comfortable with the racial humor and like mm. calling Tom honky and all of that. So he talks about how he deliberately flubbed lines and messed it up until they moved away from that. Okay. So there's that. See, and that's interesting because what happens is then the show becomes less than it 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 completely loses its edge it loses all of its edge and and the reason for it to be and the reason why it stood out at that time so that's that's and and the thing about the jeffersons which i'm i'm fascinated i'm morbidly fascinated by the jeffersons it actually is not that funny after like a year 
Well, like after they sand the edges off, mm -hmm. it's a group of really fundamentally not that funny people. Oh, I I disagree. I think I think it still has some. I, mean, I think Marla Gibbs is a funny funny actress. By the time you get to the third, maybe fourth season, well, yeah, her her shtick is is dead. And so. what is amazing, you know, the Jefferson went like eleven, twelve years for a long time. It was one of the longest running sitcoms. So you look at these episodes from like season ten. Yeah. Well, the, yeah. By then, and yeah. it's like, what is? What is this? Well, by well, okay, but by then they definitely are, you know, they're coasting, right? You know, they're coasting on being like the only game in town, right? Right, right, because they came on some weird night, yeah, yeah. And, uh, but I'm saying, but by then, like you know, all the other black shows are gone, right? Right, you know, what I yeah, mean? for about the most that. part, yeah, you know. Um, but you're talking about how that wasn't funny. I actually recently just sat down and watched an episode of. What's happening? Yeah. What's happening was not funny. What's happening was never really that funny. What's happening was not funny. Um, it was just light and airy. Yeah. You know, and you kind of, or at least to me, like I liked the characters. I liked the characters. I'm, and it's certainly watching them at that time, at that age. You yeah. Know, you're like, ah, it was whatever. Right. But watching them now, it's like, they're not funny. It's not good acting at all. It, it, and they're well, not enjoyable. And it's so funny. We were just talking about the monkey hustle because I feel like we had this conversation in the monkey hustle episode. As a kid, I liked what's happening because it was super. It was a super safe show to watch. Mm -hmm. Like you fool around and catch a heavy episode of 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 like good times. Yeah. Or you know, even different strokes like those eighty shows with the very like you fool around and catch a very special episode. Yeah. Not what's happening. Real low stakes. Yeah, yeah I think every episode. I seem to think that was maybe one or two that got a little heavy, but not really. No, no, I'm, maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, I'm scrolling. Well, like that Doobie Brothers episode wasn't. Like I, I mean, right, right. The Doobie Brothers episode, which it was a two-part. It was a two-parter. Right. I mean, two-part equals, you know. And um, I just forgot her name. Who D? No, original Coco sang Flash Dance. Oh, Irene Cara. Irene Cara was going to get deported that one time. That's right. Because she was going to get right rerun. Rerun. <laughs> she was going to marry rerun. Oh, oh Jesus. Yeah, um, it wasn't re really a sensitive depiction of the challenges of being a new American. Yeah. But but yeah, not not really that heavy. I forgot in looking at this uh the TV series That's My Mama, which is probably the the least remembered of right. these shows. It was only on for like 2 years. I I forgot that that Ted Lang was on that show. It's where Ted Lang may, may have started. Well, personally, the one that gave him his big pop. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, your brother, Damon Williams. Yay. He said that maybe what's happening could work. The other shows were maybe too influenced by the era that produced them. Some very savvy writers maybe could bring a modern twist to Fred Sanford and George. Jefferson. I wouldn't I wouldn't be opposed to seeing some of these more, you know, inventive um black writers getting their hold on Fred Sanford or George Jefferson's character. We obviously are going to spend a lot of time talking about Sanford and Son, but the more I think about it, I don't think Sanford and Son works without Red Fox and his troop of compatriots. 
which is when Sanford and Son worked the best. Mm. And just by dint of it being the 21st century, you can't get a group of chitlin circuit performers who are a little older yeah, but I don't kind of throw them in the popper. I think he, I think it was great that he gave all those people an opportunity to get get out there on yeah. TV and everything like that. But I don't think they had that much. I completely disagree, and I think Norman is at you is part of my argument. Really, I almost feel like this is like this is almost like we're programming, and like this is a great segue. It's a great moment to yeah. get into our review of Norman. Is that you? We'll be right back with our movie review after we step to these messages. This man is one of America's most popular stars. For years, he's been a nightclub star, a record star, a TV star, and now he's a movie star. The man, Red Fox. The movie, Norman, is that you? You no good, lousy, greasy, funky, low life. MGM presents Red Fox. It's the big time. And Pearl Bailey. Oh my God. In Norman. Is that you? Oh, my God. The story of Ben Chambers, who wakes up one morning to find that his brother has run off with his wife to a romantic motel in Mexico. I hope they're drinking the water. So he goes to Los Angeles to pour out his heart to his only son, Norman. Norman, is that you? Dad, what are you doing in town? Norman used to be the all-American boy. Now he has purple drapes, flowered underwear, and a roommate named Garson. Oh, fabulous! I'm afraid my son has become a Tinkerbell. I don't believe anybody by that description is presently on these premises. Does Ben panic? No. I'll kill him. He studies the subject. You have a nail salesman. He examines the statistics. One out of six says right here. Why, in that game alone, probably two or three of them. He tries diplomacy. I'm going to strangle you. That is a very immature attitude. Yeah, but it works. Psychology. Say Mississippi. Mississippi. Perfect. See there, you don't walk like one, you don't talk like one. I say you're not one. He tries everything. Audrey, this is my son, Norman. Well, hello. He's cute. Then he panics. Help! Help! And just when things look really bad, they get worse. Let me in. I have to use the bathroom. Good. Suffer. Beatrice, I'm glad you're here because I never want to see you again. And what is that supposed to mean? Norman has sex problems. That runs in the family. Put on your clothes and I'll introduce you to my wife. Oh, fabulous! I think you got yourself an all right old man, sugar. How can you stay here with Norman and I'm staying here with Norman? Because I'm his mother. Well, I'm his father. Well, I'm his... Oh, shut up! It's hilarious. There's a sexual revolution going on. And all of the leaders are in my family. It's hysterical. Oh, the family from Tucson goes to hell. Look out, America. It's outrageous. Guess whose son has a chance to become Miss America? It's the wildest comedy of the year. Oh, fabulous. I'm warning you, I don't need that word from your mouth. Red Fox and Pearl Bailey. They deserve each other. Norman, is that you? Norman, is that you? 
1976 American comedy directed by George Slatter and starring Red Fox and Pearl Bailey based on the play Norman Is That You? The film version changes the locale from New York City to Los Angeles and substitutes an African-American family for a Jewish family, as seen in the original play. The overview of the film is that Ben Chambers arrives in Los Angeles seeking consolation with his son, Norman, but he is upset and angered when he discovers that his son is gay after he also meets Norman's lover Garson in the bedroom. This film starring Red Fox, Pearl Bailey, Michael Warren, Dennis Dugan, Tamara Dobson, and featuring a cameo by a award-winning comic book artist Sergio Aragonis. How about that? So random. And a Waylon Flowers sighting. <laughs> this was Vince's selection for this stop on the Michaud mission. Vince, mm-hmm. what say you of Norman? Is that you? Well, the first thing that I'm going to say is I'm going to ask you in real time as my co-host and, and, and my partner in this journey for an indulgence. Okay. As you know, the way we usually do this, we give a little background and then we give our review. Yes. I would humbly suggest that we do our due diligence mm-hmm. and review this film okay. as a film first. Okay. And then spend a significant amount of time talking about the background and the development of this film. Fair enough. Okay. Because the story around Norman is that you is that you is infinitely more interesting than the film itself. Okay, I can't wait to hear the story. Well then let's review the film. Norman is that you. As a film, I think going into it, if you listened last week, I felt vaguely guilty about going into this film because you think, oh, it's Red Fox. And the premise in 1975 is that he discovers that his son is gay and body offensive hijinks will ensue. Mm -hmm. There are no hijinks in this film. No, there are none. There are no middle jinks in this film. No. This is a film with very low jinks. (laughs) Yes. The jinks are on the floor. Red Fox... As the center of this film is lackluster. He is almost sleepwalking through the film. Mm -hmm. This is a film, as you said, it's based on a play. And although there were some plot, some plot changes to the play, the beats of the play are the same in the film. And this is important because this is a play that for all of the innate outrageousness of the of 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 the plot right it really demands a certain level of acting yes from this father who finds out that his son is gay and when you look at the way the film 
is put together. Red Fox finds out that his son, played by Michael Warren, is gay after his son's partner tells him. A large chunk of this film, Red Fox is by himself. Yes. He's walking through the city. Mm -hmm. He's buying books. He's talking to himself. And Red Fox has never been or was never a great actor. Right. Red Fox works when he bounces off of people. Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the greatest episodes of Sanford and Son are Red Fox and, and, and it's Bubba and it's Grady and, of course, on Esther. Mm -hmm. And you, you just throw him in a popper. Mm -hmm. Story-wise, you almost want to give the film credit for not being this over-the-top sort of rejection of his son and and you know certainly there 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 are there are aspects to the way Michael Warren's sexuality is handled and and Michael Warren's partner who is played Dennis Dugan by Dennis Dugan and Dennis Dugan certainly is a bit flamboyant mm -hmm. yes. and I wouldn't pass muster in 2019 but I have to say as a flamboyant gay stereotype, Dennis Dugan's character is surprisingly well drawn. Exactly, you're right. You you're know right. his you know his backstory. You meet his family. Mm -hmm. You get the sense that he and Michael Warren's character are in an actual relationship. Yes, he is humanized. Yes, but part of the reason that you have this is that again, there are no stakes. There is no sense. That Red Fox's character is is ever at a point where he's going to write his son off completely. Right. A film that is billed as a film starring Red Fox and Pearl Bailey, and certainly when you look at the the, the trailer, you expect that you're going to get this energy that I'm talking about, where these two seasoned black actors bounce off of we'll each be other. off of each other. Yep. Akin to the, the 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 Fred Sanford on Esther relationship. Yes. This is a film that's a little over an hour and 30 minutes. Yep. Pearl Bailey does not show up in this film until 1 hour 12 minutes. That's right. She is literally in one scene. Really? Now, there's a reason for that, but we're just talking about the film. <laughs> the point is, without Pearl Bailey to bounce off of, and even in the one scene that they're together, there is no energy here at all. No, 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 no. The most significant part of the film, the, 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 the most outrageous part of the film, is, is something that I don't think was necessarily meant to be outrageous it's just this was a film made in 1976 and for for our younger missionaries you there was it was just a, a, a it was a moment in time where we didn't question the the appearance of ventriloquists right and ventriloquists it's like there was this weird period where Waylon flowers and madam would show up yes and no one would ever acknowledge how bizarre this was yes so watching this in 2019, and you look, is that Waylon Flowers and Madam? Yeah, they, they, they were there. 
for two scenes for three scenes three three scenes and right because one time and then one of the scenes we get this long extended nightclub performance yeah it's like well you know we got Waylon Flowers so we got to give him the opportunity to do his act to do his act Michael Warren is here Michael Warren is a is is a solid 70s 80s actor he does nothing yeah. in this film well he in his defense he's very young in his into his career here sure but you're right. He's Tamara Dobson, who is filled with charisma and presence in both of the Cleopatra Jones films. Literally just stands around. Yeah. Like her job is to stand there. She is wasted. I don't even know why she showed up. They could have used a cut a cardboard cutout. Yes. Yeah, absolutely right. And it's it's really just I can't even work up the energy to say it's a bad film. It's just sort of there. It's it's no, it's so nothing, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just. I mean, the other the it's so much nothing. First of all, you don't expect much because this is a feature film. You know when it comes on metro golden mare the the lion is roaring at you that's right and it comes on and it, it says metro golden mare presents you know a george slatter film this is a movie yet at no time do you not think you are looking at the pilot for a tv sitcom that's right and so much so that you can feel Red Fox, whom you said is not an actor at all. You know, he acts, but he's not an actor. Right. Made his bones on the stage. The rest of his bones he made filming a sitcom. That's the level to acting that Red Fox has in his repertoire. And you see it on display in this movie because Every one of his lines, you see him waiting to hear the laugh. Yeah. And it's not going to come in a feature film. But you you see you can literally see him waiting that beat. You know? Well, part of it is also he's reading off of cue cards the entire film. Which speaks to what you also said that he is sleepwalking. But we'll talk this about movie. that too. He is he is so on cruise control in this movie um, that it is it's a shame because you would imagine Sanford and Son at this point in 1976 Sanford and Son has been on about three or four years. Yeah, it's actually the last season. It's going into the last. Yeah, season, as as right. this is filmed. So you can imagine that the talk around town is like, oh. Red Fox is going to segue into movies. Mm-hmm. So this is his shot. Mm-hmm. This is your shot, dude. That's right. And and they've given you a role that basically is you playing Fred Sanford. Yeah. With yeah. just a different name. Yeah. And you, and you get to wear, you know, nicer clothes. But other than that, you're basically playing Fred Sanford. You should nail this. You should you should be able to hit this out the park, dude. And he is giving it absolutely nothing yeah which as much as you want to you know 
chide Michael Warren for not bringing anything to the film. It's it's not hard to imagine that people are only going to give so much as they see the lead guy given. Yeah, that's true. You know what I that's mean? That's true. Um, Dennis Dugan, in his role, he, you, he, because I think because of the nature of it, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more flamboyant, and the times in which this film is made, you know, it is, it is certainly. His depiction of a gay man is certainly the visual language of the day, so he can lean into it a little bit. He's having, you can tell he's having, you know, he's having fun. Absolutely. But, but also to your point, as much as flamboyant as he is, he doesn't go over the top. Mm-hmm. He's not, he's, it still comes off in the structure of this movie and in this world that it creates his character still comes off as believable mm-hmm. and fitting in this in this world and he's a person and he's a person like yeah. you said he's well-rounded he's doing things in this movie it's just that nobody else in this movie is doing anything at all and this just becomes a wasted time a wasted time and the shame of it is is that the story in and of itself, of its time, is timely. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And it's something that could resonate. And I think it's actually, it's, I actually think that, you know, taking it from the, st- from the stage where it was a Jewish family and moving it to Los Angeles and making it an African-American family, I think that is, um, that's an, an interesting change. And there's something to be mined there, you know? Mm-hmm. But this movie doesn't do it, anything it does, with it. It doesn't mine it at all. At all. And yeah. and thus, this becomes just a bore. Yeah, oh yeah. Because it is, when Dennis Dugan is not on, on camera, there is nothing to watch in this movie. Oh yeah. Nothing whatsoever. There yeah. is not anything funny about it at all. It's, it's just a, a waste of time at the theater. Okay. So have we reviewed? Well. Is this our critique of the film itself? I believe I, well I, I guess the it, last critique is would you recommend people see? I would not. Mis- I would not. Would you? No. Okay. So we've now done our due diligence. So now we've done our due diligence. We've, we've, we've reviewed we've the reviewed film. reviewed the film. Yes. Missionaries, sit back. All right. I'm sitting back because I want to hear because I don't know the story. So everything I'm about to tell you, unless I say otherwise, my source is Black and Blue, the Red Fox story by Michael Seth Starr. Oh, okay. So it's one of, I think there have been two, I think there have been two Red Fox biographies. Okay. This is the, the latest one. So as you said, oh, real quick. So this is the latest. Was this? So did this come out after he, he passed away? Um, I'm pretty sure it did. I, I feel like this came out in the past five, six years. Let me. Yeah, this is from 2011. Okay. Yes. Okay. So that's, that's right. So as you said, George Slater, yes, directed this, and George Slater was the creator of the classic variety 
show laughing. Yep, her. He bought the rights to Norman Is That You. Norman Is That You had a short run on Broadway. It's it's famous for being billed as the first play to openly discuss homosexuality. Right. And, you know, I always, I, I always chuckle at the openly part because it's like every Tennessee Williams play has like a dude who's really, really sensitive mm-hmm. and like looks at the audience and winks and goes, I'm really, really sensitive. But this, you know, this openly discusses homosexuality was on Broadway, bombed. Yeah. Got terrible reviews, this, that, and the other. Yeah, it was going after 12 performances. Yes. Ended up having a second life in Paris. Wow. The, the play. The play mm-hmm. began this revival in Paris and then ended up bouncing back to the United States, including a 26-week run in Las Vegas and an international adaptation staged by the Ebony Showcase Theater in Los Angeles. Oh, so they even went like went black with it on on, uh, on the stage. They went. They. It, it, I wish you would have said they blackened it up because <laughs> that would have segued into my first little factoid about this banana story. <laughs> the Ebony Showcase Theater was co-founded by Nick Stewart. Do you know who Nick Stewart is? Because you're a thirties and forties dude. The name is it's not hitting me. Nick Stewart played Lightning on Amos and Andy. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. So, so, all right. All right. So George Slater buys the rights to this, to this play, says he wants to make a movie out of it. Nobody bites. <laughs> he ends up selling it to MGM because, again... George Slater created Laughing. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time he sold it, Sherry Lansing, who was a one-time dancer on <laughs> Laughing, yeah, I did know that. I did know that. Became the head of production at MGM and gave the project a green light. <laughs> well, she saw gold. <laughs> Initially, they want George C. Scott to play the Ben Chambers character. Okay, so initially it wasn't going to be a black... Initially it was not going to be a black film. And then when Scott passed on it, George Slater, who had worked with Red Fox... Um, I mean, let me get it, get it straight. I'm trying to... Because he knows Red Fox from a couple of different places well he produced a lot of shows i mean he produced laughing he produced right 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 the dinah shore show uh, a lot of specials right so he so he figures he's going to replace him with red fox which if you know anything about sanford and son that makes sense yes because sanford and son is famously an, a black adaptation of the show steptoe and son right the, which the british was theory. a british sitcom okay now this is vince but see, that's where they make their first mistake. Because when you look at Sanford and Son and you talk about like we watch Sanford and Son and oh, Sanford and Son, Sanford and Son did not work for a while. Like when you look at the episodes from the first year mm-hmm. and the second, the vast majority of the second season, mm-hmm. those aren't the episodes that crackle when we talk about Sanford and Son because they're really just remakes of Steptoe and Son. Right. And 
Fox does not have anyone to bounce off of. Always like to say Aunt Esther doesn't show up until the end of season two. Oh, really? She's not in season one? Season two. The end of season wow. two is the first episode with Lawanda Page. Okay. So okay. when we think Oh, of, that's right, because he had like maybe random Exactly. Right. I remember that. Yeah. So yeah, when yeah. you think about that crackle of the best Sanford and Son episodes, mm-hmm. all of that is outside of it being this adaptation of another show. Okay. So that's mistake number one. Mm-hmm. There you know, Slater thinking, oh well, I'll just copy the formula because the formula isn't what made it work right brings in pearl bailey because he's worked with slater's work with pearl bailey and pearl bailey and red fox know each other because pearl bailey used to be married to slappy white Oh, yes, who's a good friend. Who is a good friend in talking about these these people appearing on Sanford and Son. Slappy White is the only one of this Chitlin Circuit crew that appears early on Sanford and Son. Slappy White's in the first season. Right. Unbeknownst to George Slater, Red Fox has always had a bit of resentment towards Pearl Bailey. Really? From back in the day when Slappy White and Red Fox were on the Chitlin circuit. Pearl Bailey was a big star. True, yeah. Red Fox felt like Pearl Bailey didn't do enough for their careers back in the day. Didn't do enough for Slappy For and, Slappy White and, and Red. Red. Right. And if there's one thing about Red Fox. He holds a grudge. He holds a grudge. That is true. So that's strike one. Ooh. Strike two, during this time, Pearl Bailey is working for UNICEF. So she's all over the world, specifically on the continent of Africa, raising money. And she flies back in to film, and she's exhausted, Mm -hmm. basically. And then when she gets to the set, and now I shall read directly out of the book, because paraphrasing would not do this justice. Oh, boy. The atmosphere on the set, especially between Red and Pearl Bailey, was tense from the get-go. Bailey arrived on stage too tired and irritable, and then they they say all the stuff about the Chitlin circuit, so on and so forth. The trouble started when Red arrived for the first day of shooting in his red convertible with his vanity license plate that read, Nigger. (laughs) Pearl said... That's a terrible word. And Red said, What's the matter, Big Mama? I'm a nigga. You're a nigga. We're all niggas. Slater recalled. And she said, Red, I go over to Africa and I go to villages and I go into straw huts and they sit on the mud floor and we talk about life and love and getting along. Africa is important. And he says, Pearl, listen, Big Mama. There ain't no Bruh. living in a grass hut on a mud floor that means Bruh. to me. So Africa can Bruh. my Bruh. I don't know how all of that, like you got to bleep. It's got to bleep it. It's just a series of bleeps. That's now the extent of all of the bleeping. <laughs> but I thought we needed to hear all of that. I hear you. I hear you. This fellow missionaries was the first day of shooting. And it went downhill from there. Mm. There was also the fact that Red Fox, and now I'm back to the book, 
liked to take breaks. Oh, I can imagine. George Slater says, anytime we had to stop to relight, Red would say, okay, George, while you're doing that, I'm going to go into my trailer and work on my lines, Slater said. I said, Red, don't go in there. Because anytime he went to his trailer, when he came out, he either snorted some coke, had a joint, sniffed some brandy, or got a job. Any one of those noticeably changed his speech habits so that the shots wouldn't match. Red also had trouble remembering his lines, which made it necessary to place cue cards all over the set. Quote from Schlater. He would look up on the ceiling. There was a cue card there. Then I would put one behind the sofa. Then he'd turn around a room, look in different directions, and read the rooms. It was all eventually done on cue cards because he couldn't remember anything. So this was a production that was cursed from the very beginning. Yeah, that's postscript. Once the film was actually in the can... Mm-hmm. They couldn't get Red Fox to promote it. To promote the film. <laughs> he demanded $25,000 to go on a promotional tour. Slate, George Slater and the other producer says, Dog, what are you talking about? You basically have points on the film. And he says, You know, they tell him you got 10% of the movie. All right, this is going to be a bleep because I thought, I thought this was amazing. Red Fox said bullshit. Bruh. I don't have 10% of the movie. They have 90% of my movie. Oh my God. I'm not going to put my black ass on some white airplane to promote a movie that they own 90% of. Red Fox, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Who would soon be arrested for tax evasion. Um, <laughs> wow. That is an incredible story, Vince. That is insane. How insane is that? That is insane. You know what? The little touches, like the head of MGM used to be a dancer on Laughing, and Norman is at you had a run in a theater started by Lightning from Amos and Andy. This is why I love the seventies. Yes, but that all pales. <laughs> <laughs> Against no red, don't go to your trailer. Because <laughs> any one of the five things that's going to happen in there, and you're going to be coming out of it, I'm a, 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 So many people have these stories about Red Fox, though. There are tons. See, they're so. Lena Horn has a story about the episode where she came and taped her episode of Sanford and Son, I don't know if Lena Horn ever spoke to him again. Really? Yeah. He 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 was really crass with Lena Horn. Well, you know, to be to be fair, there are stories about Red Fox from the Sanford and Son days. And there are probably just as many stories about DeMont Wilson from the Yeah, but San Francisco. Like, what was Demont Wilson doing? Like, well, Demont Wilson was, you know, delusions of grandeur because he was on a show that was one of the number one, yeah. rated, one highest rated shows for a good four or five absolute run. So, you know, he he was feeling himself. Um, 
So if he was feeling himself, you could just imagine what was in yeah. Red's hands. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, Norman is at you never had a chance. It never had it a chance. It never had a chance. And the shame of it is, is that <clears throat> not only does it have the feel of a TV pilot, it actually was shot uh, was on, on tape. That's right. As opposed to film. Which got a little pushback from the tech people. I'm sure, because it's like, this is not how you make a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but... It has that feel, and then it has the end of the movie when they all go off hand in hand, la di da, la di da, la di da. It you're literally waiting for the TV series. Norman is that you? Norman is that you? The TV series. You're waiting for it. Yeah, you know, um, it's and it's just a, it. I can only say, and we we said it before. It's just such a wasted opportunity because there is comedy and social uh, commentary to be mined from this circumstance like who would have thought you don't technically you don't see it but who would have thought in, in 1976 it still is a bit of a revelation to even imply that not only are two men sharing a bed but it's a black man and a white man. Right. In a loving relationship. In a very loving relationship, waking up together. Like, you don't ever... The, the most affection you see between them is a hug. But And, you know, that's probably a byproduct of the time. But it is... You see, or you're left to believe, that they are laying in the bed at the same time. They, yeah. Because they both get up at separate, separate times... You don't know if they actually were in the bed. Right. But it's, you're made to believe that they were both in the bed at, at the same time. There's commentary just on that alone. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then the whole idea of uh, Michael Warren's character, Norman, then uh, his his other friend, Melody, played by Vernay Watson, yeah, um, actually having a whole thing where she thinks like you know he can get him to come over to the uh, to the other side, yeah, by getting him drunk and everything, and 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 how that all plays out in this film, how she gets upset because apparently what she hoped had happened didn't happen, yeah, and then she's upset about that, yeah. I mean, th- I mean, th- there's a lot to be mined here, and it's just left there hanging. They do nothing with it. Well, I don't think they could have done anything with Red Fox. No, they could have th- done nothing. I think, with I Red think Fox, the biggest no. mistake was, frankly, casting Red Fox. Yeah, and 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 God knows I love Red Fox, and I think Sanford and Son might be my favorite sitcom of all time. Like quite honestly, well, it's nowhere near. My I don't favorite, think it's the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the one that makes me the happiest. Mm-hmm. But thinking about what makes Sanford and Son work, Red Fox is just one component. And I think when you talk about the big head and the arrogance that came with being on a successful television show, I think Fox took himself out of that. And and when you look at how Sanford and Son ended and, and his work after Sanford and Son, it 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 you you can see it. Yeah. Like he thought he was the reason and certainly he's the engine, but a car takes more than an engine to run. Yeah. So 
I don't know how you make a film with Red Fox after Sanford and Son. And it works, frankly. Well, as long as he's, you know, going to still be in that mindset. Which he's going to be in for the next, you know, two decades, basically. The shame of it is, is that the most, to me, the most captivating film performance of Red Fox is him in Cotton Comes to Harlem. Of course. You know, where he basically is moot, moot, moot. Yeah, mute for the for the most of the film. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, that's a shame. And it's I was never speaking about Pearl Bailey, who you know because of her stature gets second billing on this film. But like you said, she's in it for fifteen minutes. Yeah. Um, I was never like the biggest Pearl Bailey fan. I didn't dislike her. Right. Just, she just didn't hit me. Right. Like that. Um. But this is not this again is not a showcase of her talents no, at all. No, you know she's not doing. She's not given much to do. Like I said, she's exhausted. It's a hostile work environment. I think she's trying to like at one point in the book they talk about. She says at one point she's had like five heart attacks and nothing, and she didn't fly back here. Yeah, to basically die on the set of Norman is at you, right? Dealing with Red Fox. Yeah. Well, it's a shame, but. Yeah. Hey, is what it is. And now we've seen Norman is at you. Done. <laughs> Moving on. Before we tell you what's happening next week on the Michelle Mission, ladies and gentlemen, I invite each and every one of you to email us all of your thoughts and concerns to Michelle Mission at gmail.com. That is Michelle, M I C H E A U X Mission, M I S S I O N at gmail.com like and follow us on instagram twitter and uh, facebook at me show mission join the me show mission facebook group um you'll be glad that you did because we have a lot of fun conversation with with everybody there um i invite you to also check your feed check your podcast feed because there's going to be a bonus episode of the me show mission this week as we give you a preview of the upcoming Black Star Film Festival coming to Philadelphia this weekend. So you'll want to check that out. Let's see what it all entails with one, one of the uh, upcoming and prominent black film festivals in the United States. I also invite you to go to our website where you can find information about checking us live at a screening and talkback of To Sleep With Anger. On Thursday, August 22nd at the Bryn Mawr Film Institute, we will be screening, talking back this Charles Burnett urban gothic tale starring Danny Glover, uh, Paul Butler, and Cheryl Lee Ralph. It promises to be big fun. We've got links on our website where you can get all of the ticket information that is to Sleep With Anger at the Bryn Mawr Film Institute, Thursday, August 22nd. Go to MichelleMission.com for details. Just look under events. Our show is available as a podcast on the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate curated podcast just for your specialized listening. We are also available in an edited form as a radio show every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 FM 
Philly Cam, People Power Media here in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. And you can wake up with the Michelle Mission every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. All right. Next week on the Michelle Mission. All right. We are going to present for you our live review of Men in Black. Yes, sir. That we did at Blurred City Con 2019 in at St. Francis College in Brooklyn, New York, just a few weeks ago, where Vince and I were extremely happy to sit down with Marvel's runaway star and, more importantly, the largest Michaud missionary ever, the actor Ryan Sands. And I say large because he's a big man, but he is a cool dude. And we had a big fun sitting there talking about men in black and sci-fi and Star Trek um, and many other things, including... The origin of our upcoming latest piece of swag on the Michelle Mission store. <laughs> the Sticky Finger <laughs> T-shirt. You will hear the origin of that. I feel attacked. Next week <laughs> on the Michelle Mission. Don't want trust me, you do not want to <laughs> come for the men in black, stay for the sticky face. I see. I thought it was a safe space. <laughs> it was. <laughs> All right. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len, and in parting we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. <laughs>